morning, IE Church. Uh, happy Sunday. It is such a pleasure to uh, speak to you guys this morning uh, and share with you a lesson that I feel God has really put on my heart, uh, honestly, for this month. And, you know, as a church, we've been uh, studying out this theme uh, titled Together. And this is so important, this word, this theme, because in order to unify and allow Jesus to lead us as a church together, it requires faith. Faith in Christ. Faith in God's will. And even faith in one another. And I think to understand faith is to understand hope. And I love this scripture in Hebrews 11 verse 1 where it says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And so I'm excited to embark on this talk this morning uh, where we study out the essence of hope as Christians. And it's really hard to be a Christian without hoping for something. Am I right? Because really hope is a powerful thing. And when you look at the definition of hope, it says this, and you'll find this, uh, that it says a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. And this reminds me of a story uh, on my birthday. Uh, and, I, and I don't know about you guys, but I never really liked celebrating my birthday. And for some odd reason, maybe something clicked as a young man that celebrating one's birthday isn't really worth having a party over. And so dating, Alicia actually started to realize this about me. And I feel like now that we're married, uh, Alicia is really starting to take advantage of celebrating the uh, firsts in our marriage. And so actually this past Thursday uh, was, was my birthday, and so I turned 25 on the 25th. Uh, so to celebrate my birthday, starting on February 1st, she made a present each day for my birthday month. And so every morning, Alicia looked forward seeing me open a present each day. Uh, and I don't really know if she's just trying to be nice or making fun of me because she knows I don't really like celebrating it. And each present, I didn't know what to expect. And I'll actually show you a couple of gifts I received just to give you an idea. You know, one of the gifts that I got, um, as you see here, was a Wi-Fi extender and some smart bulbs. And so lately I've been on this fix to make my home a smart home. Uh, but then you see the next present I got uh, was some weights, uh, actually a size of a pencil, and I don't know why she got me this, but maybe it's just to remind me that I consistently need to work out. So it, even though I've gotten a lot of different random presents, it has just been nothing but overwhelming and warm. Uh, and these presents really helped me fall deeper in love with my wife and the heart that she has to go above and beyond. And so if you ask me what I would get uh, the morning of or the next morning, I, I literally had... Oh, I literally had no idea what to tell you. And each day was just something completely different. And this year so far, it feels like waking up every morning and opening up a present. And that every morning 
uh, we are unpacking something that we didn't expect. And it feels like the world or society is gifting us with something that, unlike a present on our birthday, is, is something that we don't want. And lately, I've felt hurt by many different situations happening in the world around us. You know, I think about the people affected by the pandemic, the social injustice, uh, the inequity in our generation. You know, my heart goes out to all the different men and women, even in our church, as we uh, move forward to really figuring out what it means to make the church where the destination is not how, you know, we can fix the world, but realizing that we need to trust in Jesus who can fix the world. And it feels like, you know, we are literally unpacking what it feels like issue after issue. And maybe the issues are, are right at your doorstep, be it at work or even in your home. It, it's heartache after heartache and every day it always feels like it's just something different and some members of the LA leadership group alongside with myself have been going through a deep dive of the minor prophets in the Bible and so these books making up the end of the Old Testament help us paint a picture on various ways to connect with God uh, really chosen people for a chosen purpose and so with uh, helping us connect uh, with this idea of hope this morning, I want to quickly glean over the book of Habakkuk. And it is actually a minor prophet that we've been studying out. And, you know, Habakkuk, although a prophet, was very human, with very human emotions. You know, all throughout the book, he questions God's decisions. He questions his will and timing and as he questions, you'll see that he just starts to complain. And Habakkuk is a prophet in the nation of Judah, where their last four kings were wicked men who rejected God and oppressed their own people. Uh, he hated the political climate and that God wasn't there to really deal with everything outright. And and meanwhile, while all this is happening, Babylon, a rising nation, a violent one also, uh, invaded Judah twice uh, before destroying it in 586 B.C. And so to Habakkuk, right, the time that he was living in was a time of fear, oppression, calamity, persecution, lawlessness, and even immorality. Uh, just complete sin from top to bottom. And so Habakkuk was at a real low point where he breaks down, like literally breaks down before God. And he asks God, you know, questions like, why do bad things happen to good people? Why is he letting bad people continue in their ways? He even asks, God, you know, why is it that I am chosen to lead these people in a time of destruction, disorder, division? And thinking about all this, it, it, it kind of sounds familiar to us. You know, in the beauty of this book, 
that it unequivocally shines a spotlight on God's grace and God's love because God meets him where he's at. And I want to remind you of this truth that we are talking about a God and that even this morning we are worshiping a God that absolutely loves you. And he continues to weave imperfect people into his perfect story. You know, I believe that many of us, either at one point in the beginning of this year, or if you're like me this past week, uh, we, we have hit some major low points, either in our life uh, or in your spiritual walk with God. And so like Habakkuk, we, we are under a lot of stress. And I think it's time for a vacation. And we need hope. We need hope in this world. And Habakkuk models us what it looks like to really have hope in God. And I believe that we may have questions in God's ways. And But as we're questioning God like Habakkuk, God wants you to realize that he is a totally just God. And we should have faith and hope in God alone. Because I believe that God wants to provide you with an answer in the midst of confusion and trials. And that's the truth. And so this morning, what kind of questions are you asking God right now? Are you in the season of waiting for God to answer, or are you just getting restless as you wait for God to respond? And so I want to speak to you on this topic titled Hope Beyond Understanding. You know that in Habakkuk, right, the, the prophet displays three practicals in, in having a hope that's beyond our own understanding. And so the goal for this morning uh, for these three practicals is to help all of us to fully and wholeheartedly surrender to God's will and power. So before we do that, uh, let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, I just want to thank you so much for the morning that you've prepared for us. Lord, I, I pray, God, that this is a time where we just surrender, where we allow the Spirit to uh, talk to us, to speak to us on this topic of hope. God, as, as people in the world today, we are looking for hope. So, God, I pray that we can learn from Habakkuk, we can learn from your word, uh, be humble to it, and help us to have hope in you. And we love you so much, and this morning we say everything in your mighty son's name. Amen. Amen. So, really the first practical that Habakkuk teaches us uh, is titled, Fix Your Eyes. Fix Your Eyes. And so turn to me. Uh, or turn with me to Habakkuk uh, chapter 1. We're going to just start off right off the bat uh, reading this book together, starting in verse 2. It says, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Dang. Oh, and Habakkuk even says, Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? 
Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralyzed. And justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that the justice is perverted. Lord, are you not from everlasting? You know, something I want to focus on is the realness of Habakkuk. You know, he comes in just guns a-blazing and, and starts complaining. And so as I was studying this out, I was really blown away by the audacity that he had to question the creator of the heavens and the earth. And, but as you can see, you know, Habakkuk was really saddened by the world around him. And he poured his heart to God. Would you react the same way as Habakkuk? Because what we're reading here is really him lamenting before God. And I fell in love with this book because not only uh, was it written very poetically and it was beautifully written, but it's one of the most realist books in exhibiting raw emotion. And I believe Habakkuk is one of the most uh, or even more religious uh, men that I read in the Bible. Um, because he was being incredibly real in, in how he wrestles with God. And I think it makes him more relatable. And we really need that in our lives. Because, you know, for me, you know, I, when I'm disconnected or uh, over-religious, I get scared to wrestle with God. And when I'm emotional or under a lot of stress, I associate all those feelings with spiritual instability. Uh, and I, I think that I, I'm struggling with a lack of faith and a lack of trust in God. But in my walk, uh, I have to uh, sometimes even act like I'm put together. And when I'm struggling with that, it perpetuates this uh, need to always be perfect uh, and established whenever I present myself to God and even when I present myself to people. And I really think that when we do this, uh, we get scared, uh, re reluctant almost to present our real, honest, true self to not only God, uh, but even to the people uh, in our lives. Uh, but I believe that was the complete opposite with Habakkuk, uh, that he approached God with complete raw honesty, and God honored that. Because so many people that God has used have undergone spirit-crushing doubts, seasons of wrestling, seasons of getting our hearts hardened. You know, I have some examples. You know, I think about Jeremiah. And in Jeremiah 15, 18, it says, you know, that in his pain, he called God a deceptive brook. Jacob, you know, Jacob in the Bible, he, he literally wrestled with God physically. I think about Thomas. He doubted the prophecy of Christ, the Messiah. You know, those were real people with, with real emotions towards God. You know, but Habakkuk in verse 12 shows that not only was he raw and honest with how he felt, you know, as he lamented and talked through the pain in his life with God, but he, he still submitted to God's power. And in verse 5, God says this beautiful promise, right? Right? 
And and I, I love that promise. And I'm going to say something controversial. You know, it's uh, I'm I'm going to tell you a little truth right now. I, I firmly believe that it's okay to question God and be honest with where you're at. But but I'm going to warn you to be careful to not forget the power of God. Because, you know, God listened to the complaints of all three of those men. But why they're in the Bible is because God, through them, shows us that regardless of who we are, He is still a God of grace. You know, because of His grace, He made Jeremiah a prophet of the nations. Gave Jacob a new purpose and and physically presented himself to Thomas and reminded all of them that I am still your God. And, And, you know, as we wrestle with our doubts in order to establish our hope in God, we have to fix our eyes on God. And in Hebrews 12, 2, 3. It says that fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You know, I love Habakkuk's heart in verse 12. That in the beginning, you know, most theologians believe that Habakkuk insulted God. When he said, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. And, and so, so see that change in heart because that phrase alone showed that even despite the questions, Habakkuk is fixed on God. Let's go back to uh, the the reading here, uh, starting in Habakkuk 2, chapter 2, verse 1. You know, it says that I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answers I am to give to this complaint. The Lord's answer. Uh, Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and and will not prove false. But but check this out. God says, though it linger, wait for it. Because it will certainly come and will not delay. And so the second practical that Habakkuk teaches us is wait for it. Wait for it. You know, how do we wait for the Lord? How is that even possible? You know, people talk about that phrase, right? To to wait for God. And it says, though in the scriptures, though it lingers, wait for it. And so in other words, wait on the Lord. But that still begs the question, you know, what does it mean to wait on God? You know, Tim Keller, one of the most recent theologians that I've utilized in studying out my Bible, uh, he says that in Habakkuk, that if we're going to wait on the Lord, we need to do two things, to wait patiently and to wait prospectively. Now, patiently, when God says, though it lingers, to wait for it, he's telling us to wait patiently. You know, patience is an act of will that it's a deliberate surrender 
to saying that, you know what? I don't know anything, but only God. In Job 23, verse 9 to 12, you know, Job is very upset with God and has no idea what God is doing. And we all, we all know the story of Job, but check this out. Job says here that when he is at the work in the north, I do not see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him, but he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Job struggled a lot. And in this passage, we see Job saying, you know, I don't know where God is. I can't see God right now. But God knows where I am. You know, we, you know, we tend to always sometimes think to ourselves, you know, I think I know what I need to do. But Job says, I don't. But God knows. You know, to wait patiently is the ability to lay down what you think you know best. And we see that we also have to wait perspectively. And in this, in the passage, it says, uh, or the Habakkuk says that I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. And this is such a cool image because ramparts uh, are watchtowers. And so Habakkuk creates this interesting uh, metaphor because usually people will climb a tower in a city to see if their friends are coming. Or maybe to see if there's enemies abroad uh, coming in and and even to monitor reinforcements. Uh, But really ramparts help uh, people to have this general overlook of everything. And so Habakkuk is talking about uh, a way to get perspective and the need for perspective. And so spiritually to wait on the Lord is to do everything you can to gain perspective. In Romans 8.18, it says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that we will be revealed in us. And I love that passage because it talks about how how Paul uh, says that, you know, I I consider. And and that's a really powerful word, consider. And if you look up the Greek uh, root of it, it's it's translated to this word uh, logizomai. And logizomai is defined as to calculate or to add up. And so Paul is saying, you know, you think Jay-Z got 99 problems? I got all of it. You know, Paul is Paul is saying, you know what, re- regardless of whatever happened, whatever's happening, you know, uh, think about it, right? I- I'm almost blind. Uh, I'm being chased. I'm about to get killed. These are my circumstances right now. But he's saying that, you know, adding up all these different problems can seem huge at first, but until... I compare them to the glory that will be revealed in God. They seem small in comparison. You know, Paul went up to uh, the tower figuratively to get perspective. And so he displays all his problems. And he and we see, you know, that despite of all these problems, that he's reminding himself that the only thing that can really stop him is already done away with you know that is sin so no problem no issue can amount to what has already been given to 
us by the love that is in Jesus. And so as Paul shows us an example of getting perspective, you know, that, that is a great way to await on the Lord. We've got to wait patiently, and we've got to wait with perspective. And so we've got to wait for it, church. Let's continue on in Habakkuk 3.17, where it says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes in the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. And so this passage helps us give the third practical that Habakkuk teaches us. And it's, I will rejoice. Say it with me, at home I will rejoice. You know, Habakkuk teaches us here that despite the circumstances falling apart, he declares, I will rejoice. And a great illustration to help us see uh, what real hope can do is a missionary commander by the name of Alan Gardner. You know, in 1851, he was shipwrecked with a number of other people in a remote island just in the tip of South America. And so one at a time, they, they died in that island. And Gardner was one of the last people uh, that was alive, as we can tell, because Gardner's journals were then retrieved with these entries uh, that described what he saw. And one of his last entries, he mentions uh, the scripture, Psalm 3410, uh, where it says, The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And then he followed that uh, scripture with a quote uh, as he saw his crewmates you know, dead. Uh, maybe he's even thinking about his family that he will never see again. And he realizes that he's stuck on this island. He, he ends off his entry with a quote where he says, I am overwhelmed by the goodness of God. But the question is, how do I rejoice? How do I become overwhelmed by the goodness of God? You know, I think it's easy for us to see the good in our lives and connect that to the goodness of God, right? Uh, but Gardner shows us that there's a specific connection with that goodness because he had absolutely nothing going good for him. But oftentimes, you know, I, I see the hardships in my life and my immediate reaction is to just complain, to get hard-hearted. To develop this distrust in God. And I love that example that Habakkuk sets uh, here uh, where he talks about how, you know, his crop is failing. You know, he has no cattle. He, he has no sheep. You know, equivalently in 2021, it would look like something like this. You know, us complaining, you know what, I got no money. No home. I have no food in my fridge. I lost my job. A pandemic has taken over. My country is falling apart. People are disunited. But is your response like Habakkuk? Habakkuk teaches us 
three ideas in this chapter to help us uh, focus on rejoicing. You know, the first idea is repetition. And in verse 18, he repeats it twice when he says, I will rejoice. I will rejoice for the Lord. And there's power in repetition. You know, in order to be connected to that goodness of God, you know, there are practices in our lives that we need to hold true, like prayer. You know, praying multiple times a day or spending multiple times a day in God's word. You know, repetition is extraordinarily important. And you see that in the Bible. Because um, think about it, right? Why are there four Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four different perspectives of the same story. And each Gospel talks about Jesus and goes deeper and deeper. And I think there's a power and consistency as we are creatures of habit. And... Uh, the second main idea uh, following uh, repetition is remembering. All of chapter 3, and you read it uh, before this uh, passage that we saw, you know, Habakkuk remembers how God has been with Israel in the past. And so one of the ways to get in touch with the goodness of God is to remember all the things that God has already done in your life. Remember. And the last idea following remembering is rejoicing. You know, in verse 19, Habakkuk praises God and his power. And so not only should we remember, but we should become connected to God's holiness, his grace, his goodness, his love for us. And I think in our prayer life, we do a lot of petitioning, a lot of confession. You know, and I think back to when Jesus prayed in the garden. He he was super overwhelmed with uh, thinking about dying on the cross. But that whole time and experience, he was praising God. And to praise is to lift up. And not only was he lifting up the goodness of God as he was wrestling with that reality of the cross, but he also sought that time to lift up you and me and the rest of the world that would soon be impacted by his love through his sacrifice. So, uh, so we got to declare in our hard times that I will rejoice. We need to find times to consistently repeat our need to be humble, to surrender to God's goodness. Remember all the ways that God has worked. And lastly, praise God like Habakkuk. You know, as we look into the world around us, our community, our country, our world, as we look into our own personal lives, it's easy to see the circumstances. And like Habakkuk, it's easy to complain. We see these things and we think, you know what? Nothing is changing. Nothing is going our way. When is it going to ever happen for me? But like Habakkuk, as we wrestle with God, 
We must fight to have hope. Because the truth is we can't understand what God is doing, but we sure have hope that God is just, that he's loving, and he knows far more and is capable of far more than us. And so as we reflect on communion, how amazing it is that as we teach ourselves how to hope, that we remember that the Jesus that we put our hope in represents the greatest victory. And we remember that as we you know, look upon the cross, we are reminded of the pain, the affliction caused by the sin in our lives. But remember the good news. Put your faith in the love of God. Let us continue to hope as a church in the legacy and impact that is the resurrection of Jesus. Because church, if we want to have hope beyond understanding, we have to fix our eyes on Jesus. We have to wait for God. we got to wait patiently and perspectively. And in the moments when is when all is dark, declare to yourself, I will rejoice. Let us pray for communion. Heavenly Father God, we are so grateful for you uh, this morning as you teach us how to hope. Thank you, Lord, for the example of Habakkuk as we uh, learn how that regardless of the world around us, as it's breaking apart, uh, as we can tend to uh, over, be overcome by our stress or the things in our lives, the circumstances that weigh us down, God, that we still have hope, that you call us to have hope, that we can fix our eyes on Jesus, God, who uh, broke his flesh and his blood and broke it for all each and every one of us, God, as we take the bread and the juice and remember the cross And as we wait, God, for uh, that hope uh, that you will deliver us, God, in these tough times. Uh, But God, thank you for giving us the confidence that is in Christ, where he can help us and make us and, and encourage us to rejoice. God, so I pray, Lord, that you can be with our church, be with our world. And I pray for everything in your mighty son's name. Amen. To God be the glory.